What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch. I'm your host. Today's guest is Dave Durante, 2008 Olympic gymnastics team alternate for the United States of America, owner of Power Monkey Fitness Camps, all around pretty awesome dude. Dave is an extremely accomplished athlete, having as I said, competed on Olympic level gymnastics teams. And now he's doing the same kind of elite level performance in business. I thought it would be a really interesting interview to do to bring somebody on who's achieved success in two totally opposite areas of life to see if he could provide some insight as to how experiences from the athletic world influence decision-making, and growth in the business world. And Dave doesn't disappoint. I'm not surprised. He's a smart guy. You know, if you're going to coach at Stanford, you probably have to be able to, to carry a thought. And Dave certainly can do that. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. We talk about his power monkey camps. We talk about coaching regular, everyday CrossFitters, how to do gymnastics at CrossFit Solace in New York City. We talk about how he needed to be selfish in order to be great and how now he has to find the balance of selfishness and selflessness so he can be a great family man. It's a difficult parallel. For those of you guys who don't understand it because you don't live it, if you work a nine to five, and I'm not knocking on a nine to five, I want to be really, really clear. Nine to fives are great. My wife is a teacher. It's not nine to five. It's what? Eight to three? Whatever, Whatever it is. You get to come home oftentimes and you get to put your work on the side. And that's great. You know, relish that. If you enjoy that, relish that. When you own your own company, your boss is a dick. You can always do more. You can always be working. There's no reason why you can't. You own the company. You can work on some part of it at any given time. And the it's the blessing and the curse of entrepreneurship. And Dave certainly is experiencing it and he's dealing with how to balance it throughout his life, just as I am. And I found it especially interesting to ask him questions about that and hear how he's going through it himself. So for any of you guys out there who are athletes who are considering becoming coaches when your time is up as an athlete, if you're a business owner who is looking for ways to better balance your life, if you're a coach who's looking for ways to find inspiration in both high performance environments and your day-to-day environments, we cover those topics pretty thoroughly in this episode with Dave Durante. I think you guys are going to enjoy it and I'm not going to keep you much longer from listening to it. Just got to give you some of the, you know, housekeeping. Throw us a review on iTunes, please. Five stars would be great. If you have a friend who needs to hear these episodes, make sure that you're clicking the little share this episode and send it to your friend. After you've left us a rating, feel free to leave us a review. I like to read the reviews. Even the ones who tell me I curse a little bit too much or the ones who told me once that I cut my guest off. And, you know, look, that's how we improve. So I would love for you guys to provide me great reviews. You can send me the bad ones on direct message if you want. We don't need people in the in the real world to know the little dirt. Send me your criticism privately. Um, but please review us on there and criticize me privately. In the meantime, let's get you to Dave Durante. Dave Durante, welcome to the Active Life Podcast. Uh, glad to be here, man. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. This this is one that I probably should have just gotten off my butt and driven to Manhattan and done with you in person. But Yeah, they, where are you? Where are you based? I'm in Long Beach. Oh, you're not that far away. You should have come over, though. Yeah. <laughs> Next time. Next time. So I, I've, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for a while because I just I find it so fascinating to get into the mind of people who have performed at a high level, both athletically and in the business world. And I I find it especially inspiring, I guess would be the right word, to see how you've kind of evolved with Power Monkey and to to find out where that's going and all that kind of stuff. So I think it'll be fun for people listening to hear how the mindset of both play into each other. Absolutely. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of background just because I remember at the CrossFit Games, I want to say 2013, I'm walking around the vendor village and there's people doing muscle ups on this weird contraption. And I'm like, what is that? That's a, okay. That's like a funny vendor who we'll probably never see again at the CrossFit Games, like all the other vendors who come with random stuff. And I had no idea 
it was you. I had no idea that you were, you know, that you guys were more than just this ring thing that you put people in to do muscle ups on, you know, to, to reduce the resistance. Mm-hmm. So, but I imagine that there's a lot of people now who are starting to hear about Power Monkey, which is what you do, and thinking, oh, those guys came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. having no idea how much time went into all of it. Yeah, I think that happens quite a bit where, you know, people don't see the back end on the, the work that goes into having your name slowly start to be recognized. And um, it, it did take a long time for us to be uh, at a point where, you know, we, we are going around the world now and we have a pretty highly respected name, which we, which we are very proud of. But it's not the kind of thing that happens overnight, that's for sure. And the ring thing was kind of the start of it for us. That was a piece of apparatus that, uh, you know, we've used in the gymnastics world for a very long time. Uh, but normally we just go to a hardware store and put a bunch of pr- crap together and uh, just kind of hang it up and use it as a tool. And me and my partner, Shane Garrity, who was also a collegiate gymnast and is now a stuntman in Hollywood, um, we thought that uh, if we created one that was a little bit more high end, that we could uh, show to the fitness community that it could be a really useful tool, that it could make some uh, some headway in terms of giving people more progression and understanding of the importance of technique. So that was kind of the initial uh, pitch with the ring thing. That was really our only intention was to kind of sell that. And we were shipping it around to different manufacturers and power monkey was actually an existing company and they were the ones that picked it up. Um, and we just started selling it with them. Interesting. I didn't know that they were an existing company. Yeah. Yep. It was a, a husband and wife couple down in Florida that were making equipment. Uh, they had a separate business that was their main business. They did a lot of uh, Marine canvas type stuff down there and they had gotten into CrossFit and were making rigs down for the, the South community, Florida, Georgia, uh, that area. And uh, we pitched the idea of the rig thing to a bunch of different equipment manufacturers. And they were the ones that showed the most interest. And we went with them and they started uh, making it for us. And it slowly became bigger and bigger. They brought us on as partners after a couple of years. And uh, we since bought them out and kind of completely changed the trajectory of the company. Uh, moving away from equipment and more towards the educational side, which is where we are today. That's very cool because, because you know, I think it's a beautiful idea, the ring thing as it is. I, yeah. I, was t- I always talk to people about the idea that, you know, you wouldn't squat the same weight every day. Mm-hmm. But people jump onto the rings, they jump onto a pull-up bar and it's just like, yeah, my body weight, that's what I do, of course. Right. Or right. they yeah. add weight and it's like, Absolutely. well, it's this or heavier, right? Right. Yeah, we're, we're always trying to give people an appreciation of progression. The more progressions, the more tools people have in their tool belt, the more gu- they're going to be able to see kind of where they are in this continuum of, you know, just barely understanding the way a movement is supposed to work all the way up to real mastery. And it's a little bit easier on the weightlifting side because movements like the clean and jerk and snatch can be broken down and have been broken down endlessly. And people understand kind of percentage wise how to see that progress on the gymnastics side. It's a little bit more nebulous. It's a little bit harder for people to see real progress. So it becomes either frustrating or, you know, they don't, they don't want to stick for the long run with a particular skill because they're not seeing that progress as, as much as they would like to. So the ring thing is a tool to be able to understand good technique, but also to be able to give that person an understanding of, you know, percentage wise, how far away I'm at, I am from a particular movement adding additional body weight, getting a little bit closer to my actual uh, body weight so that I can actually see my progress from a percentage standpoint in the same way that I would doing an Olympic lift. Yeah. And I think the frustration that you're alluding to is that if I'm doing clean and jerks and I want to clean and jerk 300 pounds, well, right now I can do 235. I know exactly what I can do. So I, and, and I know what I can clean. I know what I can jerk. I know what I can squat. So I know where the weakness is and I can pound that until I'm stronger. If I can't do a muscle up, I just right. oftentimes can't do a muscle up as far as people are concerned. Right, right. And that, that's, that's one of the things that I harp on quite a bit is this mentality of the skills being all or nothing. I'm not a big fan of people thinking about their skills being all or nothing. They are not. They need to understand how to break down movement uh, to its more basic components and understand where their particular deficiencies are within that movement and then tackle it in a very specific and a very targeted way, as opposed to saying, I have a muscle up, I don't have a muscle up. I have a handstand push up, I don't have a handstand push up. It's much more complex than that. I think what we try to do is break down movements in a way to give people more homework and, to, and more targeted homework and say, all right, you don't have that movement right now, but here are all the things that you can do. Here are all the things you can't do. 
let's put these pieces together so that you can eventually get to that final movement. So I'd like to go deeper into that because I think that there's a lot to be talked about there. You know, you, you've, you were an Olympian in 2008 for the United States. You're an alternate on the Olympic team. That's a pretty elite level of gymnastics to, to reach. I think yep. everyone can agree with that. I imagine that at that level that you were at, there were things in gymnastics that you still couldn't do to a level of mastery. Uh, almost everything. Right. <laughs> almost so, everything. But, 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 <laughs> but there's there people, very few things that I actually had mastered in the gymnastics world. <laughs> I could count them on one hand. <laughs> but there's people in, in CrossFit gyms across the world who were like, oh, I, you know, I can't do a muscle up. And they view that as like the end of the day. They can't do Absolutely. anything there. And now for a lot of them, it becomes like, okay, I'm going to get the muscle up. Mm-hmm. So they just do more of them and more of them and people push them by the butt and pull them by the chest and all this different stuff. Do you think that there's a certain type of personality or a certain type of mindset, I should say, that you need to have in order to not get a muscle up per se, but have any skill? Um, I think you need to have uh, a very solid understanding of timelines that come along with learning skills correctly or right off the bat you have to understand you have to have an understanding of what your actual goals are with that skill and you have to have someone that can be there as a guide as a coach um, to make sure that the things that you're doing are in line with working towards the highest level version of that movement something i stress endlessly the idea of working towards technique as opposed to a particular standard for a workout is something that i stress Every single day that I'm in the gym, and I find it to be something that is very much needed to, to be heard by a lot of people who are trying to strive towards a muscle up or whatever that, that holy grail skill is that they're, they're trying to get. They have, they have to understand the process that goes along with it. So uh, I always t- talk to people about the importance of being patient. And that's one of the hardest things for athletes to, to kind of have in their mindset is understand that uh, the timelines that they're working with. Uh, with these skills, even though they're considered basic gymnastics movements in the artistic gymnastics world, they're still very difficult to learn. They still take quite a long time to be able to get to uh, a level where they're actually actually mastering these movements. And they're sometimes not measured in days or weeks and turns. You know, you take one turn, you expect to make an, uh, uh, an, a complete change to the way you move. It's It's unrealistic in terms of how long it takes to really do these things. And so we try to temper those expectations and we try to give people a better appreciation for how long these things take to learn proficiently for longevity, for, you know, health within the movement so that you can do it not just once, not just for an open workout, but for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, still being able to do it proficiently. So that's a lot for people to handle. What, what do you think is, yeah. what, what did you find more difficult going into the gym and practicing the skills or maintaining the mental edge to decide when it was smart to practice the skills, when it was smart to maybe do something different, like rest or practice an accessory to the skill. Yeah, I, and in all honesty, some of it is on you as an athlete. And when I was uh, at my highest levels, whether that be competing in college or uh, later on with Team USA, a big component of that is having a coach who recognizes when to push and when to back off and when to put you um, – through the ringer when it comes to working on new skills or when to be working on accessory pieces. And it's critical to have that outside eye to be able to give you real, realistic um, kind of uh, understanding of where you're at as an athlete. Sometimes you, it's very difficult to be able to really assess where you are and having someone else be that guide, be that eye for you is very, very important. And, and I'm no different. I mean, I recognize that with all the teams that I've been on throughout the years in college and team USA that the coaches and your teammates play such a critical role in you being able to know when to push and when to back off. And and not everybody who is an elite level athlete is even a novice level coach. So, sure. so is that something that you, you've worked on as much as you did the athletics or is it something that you always kind of felt was a natural for you? No, uh, I thought I was going to, I thought I was a terrible coach for many, many years. Uh, when I watched the way that my coach uh, dealt with me and dealt with the other athletes um, as part of Team USA, I looked at him and I thought he was like a mind reader. I thought he was capable of understanding my 
inner thoughts without me having to say anything. He absolutely knew when to push me. He knew when to back away. He was so capable of understanding what it meant to be an elite athlete that I felt lost if he was not around. It was a really unique um, a unique situation between a relationship between athlete and coach. Him having been one of the best gymnasts of all time too lent itself better to him understanding what it meant to be an elite athlete. And he, he played a very important role in my career in terms of not only being a good athlete physically, but finally breaking through and making that mental jump as well. And when I was training, I looked at that and said, I don't have that. I don't have that capacity to do that as a coach. I never wanted to coach. I always thought that I was much too selfish as an athlete to ever be a coach. And I think that when you're an athlete, especially in an individual sport like gymnastics, there is some selfishness to it that um, you need to be able to uh, put the time and the effort in to be able to achieve really high levels uh, within that sport. And I looked at it and I was like, I just don't have what this guy has. And he was one of the best coaches around. It's like, I, I don't have what he has to be able to achieve it. And when I finished, I slowly started to kind of work through very basic level coaching. I moved to Italy and I was coaching little kids gymnastics in a gym in Rome. And I kind of reignited this love with gymnastics that I had lost after I uh, kind of built into something. And I found my path as a coach that I didn't recognize that I had when I was an athlete. And um, I didn't even know that I wanted to do until it kind of hit me in the face. So you mentioned that you had to be a certain level of selfish to be an elite athlete. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, one one that, that pops up pretty regularly that I, I've <clears throat> met uh, friends before is relationships uh, and how relationships are very difficult to maintain when you're trying to be an athlete to, who's the best in the world at something. And uh, I was living at the Olympic Training Center for four and a half years in Colorado Springs. I had graduated from college. I had finished that part of my, my life. I was living with other athletes from every other sport who were on their way to representing US, USA as well. And um, I put the rest of my life on hold. I put my family relationship on hold. I didn't see my, my parents, brother and sister, cousins very much. And um, having an actual relationship um, with a girlfriend who you know was kind of on and off always was secondary to me training. And at first, you know, a significant other always finds that to be kind of intriguing, like, oh, wow, they're so interested in something and they're trying to achieve something at a very high level. And that slowly sours into why am I taking second, you know, playing uh, and sit in the back seat to this athletic career. And it's extremely difficult. And I, I'm, I applaud the athletes that are capable of doing. I am not one of them at all. Uh, I had to wait until I was done to actually find the, the girl of my dreams, the one that, you know, understood what it uh, meant to be with me. And I would never have been able to be married and have a kid if I was still training. I'm just not the type of person that has the ability to do those things together. So how, so how do you, how do you draw a line between being competitive as an athlete and being competitive as a business person? Because now, now, now you're a husband, you're a father and you have to be able to provide at least for yourself, you know, and potentially for your family. I don't know the, the financial dynamic of your family. Mm-hmm. And, and I also imagine that you wouldn't want somebody to be like, Oh, power monkey. They're okay. Absolutely. You know, so, so, so how do you, I feel like once you have it in your blood to try to be the best in the world, that that's all you know how to do. Am I, am I, where, where does that go? I would agree with you 100%. And I would say that it's probably the biggest struggle and the biggest challenge in my life right now, trying to balance all of those things. And I've always kind of put uh, my uh, training goals, athletic goals, and business goals kind of as a priority. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to be uh, in a relationship. My wife is a part of our company, and she was a performer and a dancer and, you know, has done a lot of stuff in the gymnastics side with us as well. She understands kind of what we do as a business, but I would be lying if I said that uh, it's a extreme struggle to put the amount of time and energy that I had been prior 
to having a child uh, into the company the way I did before. Um, and to be able to balance that is really, really difficult. And I'm, I'm still figuring it out. And, uh, you know, my, my baby is 15 months old now. And I feel very, very lucky that we get to spend as much time together with her, uh, both of us on a daily basis, just because of the way we uh, run the business from home. And I'm coaching not that far away from our apartment. Uh, we just went to Europe for five weeks doing power monkey clinics all over the place. And I was able to take them with me. But it's, uh, it's very, very challenging. I, I set a very high standard for myself and for the company. And to be able to maintain that and uh, happy family, happy wife, happy child is, uh, is difficult. And I think anybody that has a, a child and has a family probably understands that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I have two. I have a three-year-old and a 10-month-old who will be an 11-month-old by the time that this airs. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it's, it's a constant, you know, push, 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 pivot. That's too far. Right. So um, I I certainly can relate to that. Have you found for yourself that that you've had to kind of delegate tasks, train other people up and start to trust other people on your staff more? Or is that something that you're you're going to consider down the line? I've been considering it more. I have a hard time doing that. (laughs) I can I I can tell you this. Maybe, you know, maybe you get something out of this podcast, too. I started my, my wife, it's not an ultimatum that she gave me. We have a great relationship, but you know, she asks me questions like, Hey, wouldn't you like to be able to do more of this kind of stuff? Right. Like, yeah, of course I would. But I also don't want to see this company go down the drain. I want to see it flourish and grow and grow. And you know, we, we set some boundaries, I guess you would call them. And in setting those boundaries, I had to look at what list of things I'm doing and say, well, I'm going to have to farm this one out then. Right. On the list of things that I'm doing, this is the least important as far as I'm the only person who can do it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've found that since we started farming those things out, people are actually doing those jobs better than I was. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm, I'm pretty sure will start to happen. We've done the same thing. It's kind of uh, moving slowly because of me you know, wanting to make sure that the people that take over are not only capable, because I know there's a lot of capable people out there, but uh, have the same passion and vision for what we do as a company. Mm-hmm. And I, I really want to find people that care about Paramount, care about the same, you know, core values that we have as a company and continue to push those things forward rather than just looking at it as another job. And that, that's, that's a challenge when you, you know, when this is your other baby, when you have a company, it's your other baby, you're looking for people that care about it as much as you do. And that's not always uh, easy to find. No, it's not easy to find at all. Yeah. What, what are those core values? I think it's, I, I always find it fascinating when people use phrases like core values, you know, principles, um, because it's an opportunity to learn more about both them and the business that they run. And and I don't think every business has core values. I don't think they know theirs. So are you guys yeah. keenly in touch with yours? Well, I think they, they've developed over the years. And I think um, as we've become a little bit more clear on what our direction is, we've kind of narrowed the focus down and like I mentioned earlier, you know, initially what we were doing was making equipment and we were making ring things and we were making rigs and stuff like that. And that was not what we intended the company to be. And um, we sat down and me and my partner and the other people on our team, and we've come to a really strong conclusion that what we are at its heart is an education company. And not only an education company, but we are an education at its highest level Um that's at least what we strive to be. We try to bring education uh, from a technical standpoint with regards to not only gymnastics, but a lot of other um, movement um, sports and, and um, types of directions to people who didn't grow up with it. And I think what we try to do is set a very high standard when it comes to how we present information and how we present uh, technical understanding of our backgrounds. So tell me a little bit about PowerMonkey then. What exactly is it? You know, and, and and because I mean, you said an education company, and I get yeah. that, and that's cool. Who should be educated by it? You know, yeah. my my University of Maryland is an education company. Absolutely, yeah. So we we tackle education from three different standpoints. We have an equipment side where we make the ring things, and we make some other uh, small pieces of apparatus that we feel are useful for uh, fitness community. Uh, we tackle education from an event side which is our Power Monkey Camp, which is probably one of the most recognizable things that we do. And we also have our intensive, which is something new we've started last year, plus our clinics, which is the ones that we do all over the world, which are one and two day clinics that we do um, fairly often. 
So we do a lot of events where we bring our education, both from gymnastics, weightlifting, and uh, a bunch of our other coaches who I'm happy to talk about um, after this to people who, who need access to good information. And the, the third prong uh, is our online component. And this is our programming. This is, has started as our uh, online monkey method. And it's since expanded to an app that we uh, unveiled a few months back that we've been slowly modifying and updating and uh, creating more and more content for people to uh, have as an accessible piece to the way that they're training. So when we first started out, uh, who were we targeting was more general fitness population uh, associated with CrossFitters. I mean, that was who our market was. We're all CrossFitters ourselves. We love uh, doing it. We love being a part of the community. Uh, and we've since expanded beyond to more general fitness where, you know, people who didn't grow up with gymnastics, who want to learn handstands, who want to learn how to clean and jerk, but maybe aren't interested in doing Metcons and that kind of stuff. We're trying to expand beyond um, just uh, the market that we initially started with. And uh, we're slowly having success with it. But uh, we definitely started out with general fitness population as it's associated with CrossFit. Well, and, and your Power Monkey camps are what, a week long? Yeah, the camp is a full week-long event. Uh, people show up on Sunday and leave the following Saturday. When you first embarked on that, as an as an ambitious, you know, that's an ambitious that's an ambitious oh idea. There, were you worried that people would be like, "A week, dude, I can go on vacation." Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. And it's still one of the things that we struggle with. Uh, I knew that if we could pull the first one off, that people would be interested. Uh, I've been going to this location for over a decade now, close to 15 years of coaching little kids at this camp during the summers as a kids gymnastics camp. It's owned by two Olympian friends of mine and the facility is phenomenal. It's just a beautiful location, 150 acres, 32 acre lake, 30,000 square foot of gym space. It's phenomenal. And I said, you know, this is great for little kids, but if we could bring adults here and have an adult fitness camp where, you know, adults are reliving the things that they used to do and have fun with, have s'mores by the campfire at night, but do it in an atmosphere where they're getting top notch education along with this experience, I think people would come back for it. So I, I pulled together a bunch of my buddies um, from different sports. You know, Chad Vaughn was the first one that I approached because I had been doing a lot of stuff with Chad on the weightlifting side. And I asked him to recruit some uh, weightlifters. And I asked Dave Newman, who uh, was a friend uh, from RX Smart Gear, to see if he could bring some games athletes and help promote the event. And he was incredible. He like went above and beyond uh, assisting getting that first one off the ground. Chad was incredible getting his weightlifting team together. A bunch of my old gymnastics buddies uh, believed that it could be something. Uh, we put the first one on and we had... 30 coaches, guests, and staff, and we had about 30 participants. <laughs> so we had, we had probably just around one-to-one -one ratio of staff to campers, and we lost a ton of money. We lost just a ton of money. <laughs> hey, people would have looked at the books after that first game. They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But the, the thing that happened that I wasn't expecting that told me that this had some life to it is when we were leaving on Saturday and we were getting people on the bus back to the airport – all the participants were crying and they were genuinely sad to leave. And they were telling the people that they were in groups with and that they were sleeping in the cabins with that. I'll write you and we'll keep in touch. And it was like being at camp when you were a kid. And that was what I was not expecting. I was expecting an amazing week of education because our coaching staff was at such a high level. What I was not expecting was the experience and people wanting to come back just because of being able to interact with our coaches and our staff and the other people that they were there with uh, in their cabins and their groups. And I think that's what's made Power Monkey Camp successful is uh, those experiences. We have people coming back for their fifth, sixth, seventh camp. The information is fairly the same. We have people from all over the world coming back again and again and again because of the experience, because they want to hang out with us. And I mean, I feel very fortunate that we, we get to bring out such cool people because people like hanging out with them. But that's what made camp unique and what, what it's made it successful is um, the experience in conjunction with the high-level um, educational component.
Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, I've spoken to people on both the coaching side and the athlete side of that camp. Jason Layden is a friend of mine. I know he comes out and he coaches some with you. Chris Hinshaw is a friend of mine. I know he comes out and coaches with you. Haley Adams is an athlete who I do some work with. I know she's been there as an elite athlete on at least the last one you guys did, I believe. Yeah, she's been to two camps. She came as a guest and she came as a camper in the last Mm -hmm. one too. And, and, And there are others as well. And nobody has ever come back and been like, oh, you know, like it was, I mean, it was all right. It wasn't what I expected. Everybody comes back and they're like, that was such an amazing experience. Which is yeah. so cool because it's, you know, I, I give I give two day workshops, and when the two days are up, I have given everything that I have for those two days. Yep. I think I could probably keep it going for a third and maybe a fourth day as long as I didn't have to do anything for like a week and a half afterwards. Yeah. What is it like for you? When you get home, are you just like, don't talk to me? I'm going to a float <laughs> tank and I'm going to stay there till Thursday. That that's basically it. Um, as much as I, I like the, I, I love the week, and really, what makes it feasible is our amazing staff and um, Katie Herman, who runs Rosie Joe Meals. She does our our meals throughout the entire week, so she, we have incredible meals for the campers throughout the entire week. That makes it bearable. A lot of beer and wine every night make it bearable throughout the week. Mm-hmm. But when when the week is over, um, I need a lot of decompression time and just being able to kind of uh, stay on my own. Uh, I really feel fortunate enough to, you know, like I mentioned, I'm close with the owners of the camp and me and my wife and a few select people, of, uh, a group of our staff stay a few days after, and we just enjoy camp. You know, we clean up and we put everything back and things like that, but we stay a few extra days and just enjoy camp without anybody there. And it's completely dead. We have this beautiful camp. We go paddle boring, we go fishing, we go jet skiing on the lake, but it's just ours. And we get to to just be in the middle of nowhere, very quiet, and helps us kind of reset uh, before I come back to the craziness of home. That's a good idea. So the next question that comes to mind is one that I feel like, like I almost can't ask it because it's it's a loaded question for you. But you're on this stage. You have – how many people come to a camp? How many athletes? We, we max out the uh, campers at 100, and then we have about 50 guests, uh, staff, and coaches. So it's 150 people plus every camp. So you're, so you're on stage in front of 150-plus people? Yeah. And, and I mean I call it a stage. It's not literally a stage potentially, but, but you get it. Sure. Now – and you get to do it intensely for a week. Like you could have a massive impact on somebody's life. I'm sure there's conversations that you have there that have nothing to do with gymnastics that change people's lives. Without a doubt. Those are probably the ones that are more impactful than the, the education that they're getting in their stations. Uh, we've grown it to the point where we have three scholarships now that we bring out um, for people that aren't able to tend on their own. Uh, we have a Whitney scholarship who's named after Whitney Bozer, who's an incredible, incredible woman who uh, was a camper herself. Um, she's been fighting breast cancer for a very, very long time, and uh, she's still come out to ca- comes out to camp sporadically. Uh, we have a scholarship in her name. We have uh, the awesome scholarship for uh, Greg Lucas, who is the um, uh, former camper who started this Be Awesome scholarship that uh, allows another camper who's uh, had an impact in their community to come out and who might not be able to afford it on their own. And then RX Smart Gear has another scholarship that they bring out some people that, uh, you know, who have similar uh, impact in their own communities that aren't able to come out. Chad Vaughn and his wife, Jody have uh, started a few camps back, uh, nightly campfire stories where we have some of these scholarship winners and some other people that uh, have had really big impacts within, you know, within CrossFit and with a, within some other areas of fitness have done some incredible things and they tell their stories at the campfire and they get to really interact on a different emotional, personal level with the campers in a way that um, is very, very different than just the educational piece that they're getting within their groups. And I can tell you that those campfires, uh, those campfire stories are some of the most impactful and important things that we do at camp. Uh, Getting people who have had such impact in their own personal lives uh, to get to tell their stories so that other people can see um, what people within this community are doing outside of just, you know, their fitness level in the gym. And have you ever had somebody at one of those camps tell a story or, or, or ask your opinion on something that changed your life? Uh, I, I've had quite a few. Um, you know, there, there's a few of our, our scholarship winners that have told 
incredibly emotional stories. And it's probably not appropriate for me to tell their story. No. Um, I think it, it's better to hear it from their own mouths. But um, some guys that uh, have come through that have done some really incredible things and have come through some obstacles that I don't think I would be able to have come out of and are now better because of it. And they're assisting within their personal communities um, as a better human being, as a better person, as a better coach because of those challenges. And uh, not a camp goes by that we don't have someone tell a story uh, that becomes kind of impactful for the next camp. it's, It's camp to camp. We have people come through that are doing something incredible within their personal communities. And we're very, very lucky to have that come through. Yeah. uh, I can't imagine it not. And I can't imagine it not being awesome. So the the follow-up to that then is now your day-to-day is your coaching classes at a gym. Yep. Does that become almost, I don't want to say boring, it's the wrong word, but does it become less um, inspiring to you to do on a day-to-day basis? when you have this other thing that's like, you have to amp yourself up for it. How do, yeah. how do you, how do you, prov- let me, let me rephrase it. How do you put yourself in a position where you're delivering on the same level repeatedly day after day, week after week, as you put yourself on to perform? Yeah, that's a, I think a really good question. And, um, you know, coaching at Solace in New York, I've been doing it for a number of years now. I love the gym. I love the community. I love how close it is to our apartment. It's, a very good situation for us to be able to make it feasible with everything that we have going on with Power Monkey. Um, I love dealing with people who love gymnastics. I absolutely would do anything and everything for someone who's interested in my sport. And for someone to want to learn how to do a handstand, for someone who is now interested in getting up on ring, who their entire lives didn't even know what a set of rings were. And now suddenly they're interested in learning how to swing or learning how to do a muscle up. I look as that as an opportunity to build my sport. I absolutely am 100% passionate about helping to grow the sport of gymnastics and getting people to move better so that they can not only become better gymnasts, that that's, that's a little bit less relevant to me rather than them, uh, finding something that they really enjoy doing and passing that on, passing my passion on to someone else. So being able to coach on uh, a regular basis throughout the week, is just a continuation of what we do at camp. It's a continuation of what we do in the clinics. Um, I don't look, look at it as a challenge uh, so much as I look at it as an opportunity. And I find that to be very, um, I'm in a fortunate situation because I'm doing something that I love to do. And uh, I don't know if everyone finds their true passion or their, their kind of uh, the thing that they love to do in life. I found mine when I was six years old. And the fact that I can continue to do that on a regular basis is incredible. I wake up smiling because I get to do this every day. So I don't look at it as so much as a challenge. I look at it more as an opportunity to bring what I love to do to people who are suddenly interested in it. Did you ever imagine that you'd be teaching gymnastics in the CrossFit setting, though? Or did, when you were when you were in gymnastics, were you like, "Oh, I'll be in a gymnastics gym"? No, zero, zero. Like I said, I mean, I didn't see myself as a coach at all. I I actively sought to not be a coach. In fact, when I uh, retired from competing, I left the state. I, I went back to Stanford for one year. Uh, I signed one contract to coach the team for a year, and it was because I never won a national championship when I was there. And I thought it was feasible if I went back that year because the team was very strong and there were just some missing links that I thought I could help out with. And we won a national championship. I was able to check that off the box. <laughs> and uh, then I moved to Italy and I moved to Italy for basically two years. So I have Italian citizenship and I wanted to figure out the next phase of my life. I wanted to, to do something that was completely different. And gymnastics kind of found me again. Um, I very stupidly got hurt skiing with a buddy of mine for the first time in my life, skiing in Austria. I was like, I'm going to do all these fun things that I never did when I was an athlete. And I went skiing in Austria where they held the Olympics. Olympics (laughs) And uh, it just so happened that uh, I was on not a bunny slope and I fell (laughs) in my first 30 feet down the slope and I tore my ACL. Oh man. uh, My third ACL was the third one. I've torn many ACLs in my day. 
And um, during my rehab, instead of like embarking on this completely different journey, I started doing rehab in Rome. And uh, along with that rehab, I started coaching at a little kid's gymnastics gym. That was uh, where one of my cousins was going to gym. So I kind of got pulled back into coaching gymnastics without me expecting it. And right around that time, 2009, um, after I retired from competing, I had found CrossFit online. I was doing a lot of the workouts on my own uh, wherever I can find you know, the equipment to do it. And uh, when I moved back to the States, it kind of felt like a natural fit. Uh, I started to find this love for coaching again through what I was doing in Italy and doing so much CrossFit. It felt like I, I uh, found a natural path that wasn't there for former gymnasts prior to CrossFit exploding. There are really kind of three avenues that gymnasts can go down after they're done uh, competing. They can either become a coach, you can open up a gym and, and kind of coach a club. You can go to the circus and, and become a circus performer, which is a really popular avenue to take. Or you become a stunt performer the way my uh, partner did. And none of those really appealed to me at, at too much of a level. But uh, this CrossFit thing did. And I said, you know what, uh, this is a way for me to build gymnastics in a way that uh, is completely new. And it's bringing it to people that didn't grow up with it. And I felt like I could have the biggest impact in terms of how I'm bringing gymnastics through this avenue as opposed to those other three. And how important is having an impact to you in general? Not not necessarily in gymnastics, but in general. Like when, when Dave Durante leaves Earth, how important is it to you that there's a legacy behind it of an impact that you made? I, I think it's actually pretty important to me. Uh, I I really want to make sure that the the wake behind me is a positive one. And I think it's important to be able to find something where you can have the biggest impact, um, whether that's through your expertise or through your interactions with people. And I feel like through this, this crazy navigation of where I'm, I, I ended up with Power Monkey and, and all the things that we're doing with it, I feel like I can have the biggest impact as a coach, um, as an educator, um, with, with what I'm doing right now. And I feel an obligation to be able to continue what we've been doing on the education side to that, so that when I'm gone or when, you know, power monkey, you know, continues without me, that, uh, it's left something behind me that is extremely positive. And that, and that's something that I really hold dear to my heart to, to leave something positive, um, behind after I'm done. Do you have any idea why that is? Have you ever thought about that? And I only asked that because I always thought anyone who asked that question to is going to say yes. Yeah. But not everybody does. Not everybody says yes? No. There, hmm. I, I know people who've been like, no, you know, I just kind of, we get one trip around this planet and I just kind of want to make sure I enjoy mine. Not really worried yeah. about what gets left behind. Hmm. I, I don't really feel that way. I feel like because you can have, I mean, if you're looking to have a, um, you know, a good life yourself, I think that includes... Uh, the people that you surround yourself with. It's not just about you. It's about, uh, you know, your family and your friends and your extended extended family as well. Having an impact on them and their ability to pass along the message that you feel valuable as a, as a person helps extend your ability to have a good time on this planet and, and to feel like you're, you're living your life to its fullest. So I don't think, and I've been fortunate enough to travel a lot. I've been around the world many, many times. Um, I find that to be one of the, the most fulfilling portions of what I do, seeing the way other people live around the world. And I feel like we're impacting people everywhere. Uh, I'm not just staying in a little bubble in, in New York. I'm not just staying in my own little world. I want to have an impact on as many people as possibly can from all different backgrounds. And I feel like the more people that you can touch in that particular way, uh, the- I mean, I, I tend to agree with you and, and, you know, congratulations. You just got to meet my dog, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I thought we were good. I thought she was out back, but I guess she got back into the house. Not here, not here. No, no problem. Man. Um, but I think that's interesting because I, I tend to agree with you. And for me, leaving some kind of a legacy is very important. And, and when I've talked to the people in the past who said, no, I'm just trying to enjoy my trip around. I, I look for perspective in that too, and I respect what they're saying and I respect what they're trying to accomplish with it. But I also kind of feel like maybe they don't realize what an impact they have to have on other people in order to enjoy their trip. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think that's, I think that's critical. I think that's that's a. Uh, I mean, and you know, everyone's perspective is slightly different. I just find um, 
myself, especially now, I guess, uh, with a child, uh, I want my daughter to, to be able to look back on the things that I've done and be proud of her dad and be proud of the things that, uh, he's done along the way and not just from an athletic standpoint, but beyond that as well. And I feel like that means me trying to leave some positive, um, wake behind me, uh, once we're done with, with what's going on here. So, so in an effort to create that positive wake with and for you, give you a platform in which to do it. There are people out there right now who are phenomenal athletes. They're gymnasts, they're baseball players, they're CrossFitters, they're whatever they are. And their career, for lack of a better term, is, is nearing an end. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people are in a position where they identify as the athlete in the sport. And like you, they don't want to coach. They can't imagine coaching. Or maybe they do want to coach. But what is the advice that you give somebody for transitioning from that selfishness that you described earlier that is going to take to be elite to the selflessness that it takes to be elite as a person in the world? Uh, I think it's one of the hardest things to do uh, when you transition from being an athlete to figure out what your next endeavor is. Uh, having lived at the Olympic Training Center, I've seen both paths. I've seen athletes finish their careers and be completely lost. And these are some of the best athletes in the world. And, you know, in sports where, you know, they have dedicated their entire lives to being uh, the absolute best. Uh, but there was a singular focus there. And once it was finished, uh, everything else drops out, you know, post-Olympic depression, uh, happens and it's very, very difficult to figure out what that new path is because you've identified yourself as an athlete for your entire life. That's who I am. That's, that's what I hang my hat on. I'm an athlete. When that is over, you stare into the abyss and say, okay, now that everything that I, I thought I was is no longer real. What am I supposed to do with myself? And I, I was fortunate because I went through the college ranks first. I was able to get education prior to moving to training center. So I knew that I had some things that I had interest in outside of my, my sport that I could potentially pursue once things were over. We've been working, you know, I had a position with the Olympic Committee on the Athlete Advisory Council for a number of years where, you know, we've worked very hard with uh, the USOC to try to build programs and build avenues for these athletes to be able to say, once you're done, let's try to figure out a path for yourself. Um, It's extremely challenging. This is a complex question. It's not something that kind of, there's just a blanket statement that kind of answers it. Um, My my general thought and the, the... from my own background and perspective, I would say as an athlete, while you're, you're competing, do the best you can to find something else that you care about. Do something while competing, while you're competing to find something else, not only so that you can have a direction once you're done, but also because it helps break up the craziness that goes along with being an athlete 24 seven. And when I was competing during my first run through uh, when I was trying for the 2004 Olympic games, I had a singular focus and I was completely focused on gymnastics and I shut everybody else out and it led me to basically having a breakdown and it was not the path to success. I thought that it was, if I just put everything into being an athlete, then success would just happen on its own. But it was the wrong Avenue. And I changed that mindset when I moved to the training center and allowed myself to have other interests. And I took art classes and I took uh, some university classes at uh, some of the colleges, Colorado College and UCCS by Colorado Springs. And it allowed me to have some things going on outside of just the sport enough to make sure that I was breaking up my time so that I was staying sane. And that allowed me to kind of find my path a little bit better. And I think it's a challenging thing to do because you want to pour every part of who you are into uh, being an athlete but when that moment hits because it's going to hit for everybody where you're no longer an athlete having something to pursue is extremely valuable it's very very important to have i didn't expect such a comprehensive 
all the way around answer to that question, but I'm glad I got it. No, no, it's good. I'm glad that I got it because you know it's it's funny how you how you described needing something else while you're in it because that was surprising to me when I first heard it, and then as I'm listening to your answer, I'm thinking about my own life because I'm hyper competitive on a day to day basis with everything that I do, especially my business, and for me, it's like I have I have a garden. I enjoy the garden. Call it what it is, you know, foofy, whatever. I like a garden. So I go out into the garden and when I come back from the garden, I'm, it's almost like I'm recharged to do all the work I needed to do. And the intensity with which I can attack the work I'm doing is higher. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's kind of what you described. Absolutely. Yep. My, my gardening is art. It's the same thing. I, I absolutely enjoy it. Uh, it takes my mind off of what, uh, what I'm doing from business or when I was an athlete, I did a ton of art as well. And that's, that's my, my avenue to be able to kind of reset and recharge. That's cool. I appreciate that advice. I think that'll be valuable to some people. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, right? Hopefully, hopefully. So Dave, I mean, we, we've covered a variety of different topics with you and, and I've enjoyed discussing them with you. And I just have one more thing left that I want to ask you about. And sure. I, you know, I wanted to make sure that this, that this interview was not a, Hey, how do I get a muscle up? Because it's, you know, I, I don't, you're not a, you're a person. <laughs> I don't want to give a muscle up tutorial on a podcast. I'm much more interested in who you are than what you've done. So my question to you is something that I, I like to ask people who, again, the sports and the business, what parallel can you draw for people who are in sports to business where they can say, okay, I can remember this time in sports that I did this. And now I'm faced with a very similar situation in my business. And the way I need to respond needs to be similar to the way I did it in sport. But of course, I can't just go do more muscle up progressions. I have to do something different. But it's, it's, it's given that perspective to go back and say, well, basics, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, you, do you have any examples like that that you could share with people? Yeah, I think there are a few things. Um, one, one that I would say is, you know, um, getting advice, you know, getting advice in the same way that you would, like I mentioned earlier, of having a coach, having someone there to kind of help guide. When you get into a sticky situation, you get into um, something in the business world where, you know, you're not sure of the right path to take. The same thing, per, uh, you know, pertains here as it would in the athletic world. You need somebody as a mentor, somebody that has gone through similar trials and tribulations to be able to assist when, you don't have the answers. I think recognizing that you don't always have the answers is absolutely critical. As an athlete, it's recognizable because it happens in a physical setting. I can do a muscle bar, I can't. In the business setting, you have to be more realistic and you have to be more verbal when it comes to recognizing your faults and recognizing your limitations. And being able to do that and being able to say, okay, I recognize this is where I need help with. These are the people I need to seek out to be able to kind of overcome these particular barriers. You're going to become better at it. Uh, you're going to become better because of it. On the athletic world, you have that person, you have that coach, you have those people surrounding you on a regular basis to be able to kind of work through those challenges. On the business side, you have to be more strategic and you have to be more um, kind of careful with finding the people that help navigate those specific situations. So I think having a mentor, having someone uh, there to assist and when situations arise that you're not able to figure out on your own is absolutely critical in the same way that it would be in the, in the athletic world. I agree. I recently hired a coach for myself again. Yeah. yeah. I've had one in the past and I had a lot of growth with it. So I decided to do it again. Smart move. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Dave, I really appreciate you coming on. I learned a fair amount from you and I, and I, and I enjoyed all of it. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. No, no problem at all. Um, hopefully uh, we can do it again sometime soon. Maybe we can get you at the camp sometime, but I appreciate the time. That would be fun. Take care, Sean. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Active Life Podcast. Remember, guys, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating on iTunes. Leave us a review, a comment, whatever you can do to help us out. We really appreciate it. 